Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Tom Daly, and this is Made with Love. As a pro diver, I thought I knew all about making the thing you love the thing you do. But en route to the Olympic podium, I found a new passion outside of the pool that helped me unlock my power within it. That passion was knitting. And you may think this sounds bonkers, but I believe knitting made me an Olympic champion. I've since swapped swimming trunks for slip stitches, pikes for patterns and chlorine for cables. Knitting is a huge part of my life now, and I'm determined to help others do more of what they love too. So each week, a brilliant guest will be joining me to talk about turning passion into purpose, how they've made the thing they love a central part of what they do, and crucially, what lessons they've learned along the way. Hello, it's Tom here, and I'm so happy to have you back with me for another episode of Made With Love. Now, it's hard to actually put into words just how much of an impact today's guest has had on the world. Sure, there's no shortage of influencers these days, but perhaps she sums up the term best because she's actually influenced the way some of us behave. Not to mention the fact that she sparked the school strike for climate movement across the globe and inspired the biggest climate march ever back in 2019. I'm, of course, talking about Greta Thunberg. For the last four years, Greta has been unwavering in her contempt for world leaders who are, in her words, failing us with inaction over the climate crisis. She's held a mirror up to the practices and policies of some of the world's most powerful people and repeatedly urged them to listen to the science and start acting as though we are in a crisis. She's been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize three years in a row, and she's still only 19. To quote the one and only David Attenborough, Greta's achieved things that many of us who've been working on it for 20-odd years now have failed to achieve. However, Greta's critics have reduced her to an angry teenager and have sought to use the fact that she's autistic to discredit her. Her response? Aside from some pretty epic clapback tweets, she says being autistic is her superpower. And videos of her singing karaoke in front of hundreds of activists suggest she's more fun than some people might have you believe. So please welcome climate justice activist, Greta Thunberg. Greta, thank you so much for joining me on Made With Love. I'm so excited to speak to you. One, because of all the amazing climate activism you've done, but also because I feel like we share a common hobby of knitting. Is that true? Yes, that is very true. I love knitting and crocheting and embroidering and everything that has got to do with that. Wow. I mean, for me, it completely switches me off. It relaxes me. It calms me. But what do you get out of it? Same. I think it makes me focus better. I, I do it uh, in school during lessons and also during meetings and, and so on. I bring 
I always bring something I can knit or crochet everywhere I go. I cannot go without it. I'm, I'm the same. I've always got something in my bag. I've got some <laughs> yes. needles and some yarn and I've always got a project on the go. Because some people think when you're knitting and talking to them, they think that you're not listening. But actually it does, like you say, make you almost focus on a conversation more, yeah, right? It's exactly the opposite. What kind of things do you knit with? Because obviously there's wool and there's acrylic and there's cotton and there's hemp and there's all kinds of different things. What What are your favourite fibres to knit with? Hmm, I, I think... I knit with the things I have. If I receive some yarn from someone says, I'm not using this anymore, you can have it, then I use that one. So I'm I'm very uh, sort of flexible with, with that. It depends also what colour it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the colours are, impo are important. Yeah. I also, while I was doing my research, is it true that your mum took part in Eurovision in 2009, <laughs> was it? Yes, she did. She came almost lost. It was very funny. Oh. <laughs> Did you get to go and see it? Because the, the Eurovision is coming to the UK this year and everybody's so excited about it. And I mean, I just like, I feel like that's such a cool, fun fact to be like, yeah, my mum was in Eurovision. Yes, I'm sort of collecting these fun facts. But she, she was among the last people. She got very few votes, which is kind of funny. <laughs> Love it. So you're back at uni now? Yes and no. I, I'm still in high school but I did a uni, uni course uh, at the same time, but I'm still in high school. Yes. <laughs> wow. So you're juggling both high school and university at the same time. And activism, which is not so smart, maybe. <laughs> and activism. I mean, I feel like that takes up most of your time. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Most of my waking hours are spent doing some form of activism. Also some of my sleeping hours too. Sleep, eat, breathe, everything has to be <laughs> thinking about what your next move is. And I know you've been in the headlines a lot this year already. Like, how have you reflected on some of your times, especially in Germany recently? Yeah, I, I had some, some weeks off school uh, to do some field studies. And then I thought, why not go there to protest the proposed expanded coal mine? And then I went to Davos and, and then I did some other stuff. So it's, uh, again, the kind of juggling everything at the same time, trying to do where you think you are most needed. Yeah, exactly. So the podcast is all about taking the thing you are extremely passionate about and the thing that you love to do. And for me, it was diving and now knitting. Now for you, your work is obviously driven by your love for the planet and wildlife. So is that something you've always been fascinated by? Yes and no. I've always loved uh, nature and animals and so on. But I didn't really connect it with the more sort of global struggle for climate justice. When I started uh, caring about the climate and the planet and the environment and so on, I did it because I was worried about what might happen to, to humanity in the future, what might happen to the animals, the planet, the biosphere. And I'm still worried about that. But now I am more worried about the people who are actually suffering its consequences today. Many of my friends who are living in very vulnerable parts of the world due to the climate crisis and connecting that with social issues that already exist that are being exacerbated by the climate crisis and its effects. So today it's more like connecting the dots between these different crises and see how they are very closely interlinked. But yes, I would say definitely that activism and sort of caring about the planet and the people has definitely become a very big part of my identity. I don't know who I would have been without activism. I can't see myself doing any, anything other than activism because that would take so much energy from me to just sit 
and watch things happening and watch us moving in the wrong direction without doing anything about it. It must feel like a heavy thing to have to carry all the time. Like what is what do you do outside and in like your spare time, if you ever have any, to be able to kind of switch off from it all? Yeah, it does take off a lot of, of your time as an activist. I'm very, very grateful to have many other co-activists and many of my friends who are fighting for the same cause. But to what I do on my spare time to relax, I would say, of course, knitting, but also doing jigsaw puzzles. I'm doing one right now. It, it makes me sort of relax and also going for long walks. To sort of remember that it's not a sprint, it's a marathon and we also need to to remember to rest and be sustainable ourselves. And how do you think you've changed since becoming a climate justice activist? Like what what were you like before you kind of first learned of the climate change crisis? And like what kind of things did you enjoy doing before you became the Greta? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I would say I have both changed a lot completely, but I have also not changed that much. Before I, I was very restricted by my different diagnosis and I... I didn't really talk to people and and so on. I couldn't do things that so-called ordinary people could do. But by becoming an activist, I was more or less forced to be able to do those kinds of things. I was forced to be around people and, and learn to communicate because I was very shy before and I still am very shy and introvert. But but now I'm I'm using that um, in a way that that does something good. I can focus on on things I enjoy doing. I can focus on where I think I'm useful um, and where and where I can make a difference. But yeah, of course, I'm I'm still that same person. I'm still autistic. It's that's not something that just disappears. But I'm dealing with it um, in a different way. You have referred to uh, your diagnosis also as your superpower because so many people have a certain stigmatized view on what autism is. And I think you have become this icon of not just climate activism, but talking about who you are and being able to share some really important myth-busting facts about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in in the beginning, or like for a very long time, people came up to me and said, thank you for being open with your diagnosis. And I was like, why should I not be? For me, it was just so obvious that, of course, you are open with who you are. Of course, you you say that that you are autistic if you are. And it's not, not something that you should hide. But then, of course, I understand more that for many, it is something that they feel that they need to hide because they feel like they're not proud of their identity. Because with that, it's sort of like a stamp and you're being categorized in a certain group of people and seen as as a diagnosis and not as an individual but I, I never thought about it that way and that it is also of course probably a very autistic side of me but I definitely think that autism can under the right circumstances be a superpower it can also of course be something that holds you back if you are not getting the support you need if you're not getting the adjustments uh, adaptations that you have the right to that that you should, of course, then it can be something that can be a, a limit. And I've also experienced that for a very long proportion of my life. But I'm using the positive sides of it. Uh, for example, that I can focus on things that that I think are important. Um, these sort of 
hyperfixations, which in my case was the climate and activism. And I can use that uh, for something that I feel that I can be of use. And also people with autism and different kinds of diagnosis tend to think differently and have perspectives that are, as we would say, outside the box perspectives. And that those perspectives are exactly the ones we need right now when we need to solve an existential crisis which requires whole new ways of thinking. And then we need people who are different and who think differently. Talking of those differences, I mean, you started the school strike for climate back in 2018. What was it that was that turning moment that spurred you to, to do that? I think, of course, it was a long process. I first heard about the climate crisis when I was maybe eight or nine years old in school. And then by time I heard more things and I, I couldn't really believe what people were saying, because if those things were true, that we would surely have done something about it by now. At least we would see some kind of reaction whatsoever on some level of society, but we weren't. At best, it was people saying, I recycle for the planet, and that was it. Maybe some campaigns of big corporations who I knew were lying, saying that we're taking responsibility for the planet. And that sort of cognitive dissonance of people's actions not reflecting their words I, I couldn't deal with that um, in a way. Um, and so I I felt like, well, someone needs to do something and that someone can be me. I tried to get involved in different organizations. I tried to join different demonstrations or protests, but I couldn't really cope in that environment. It was too much focus on socializing and it was too noisy and so on. So then I eventually, I was inspired by some other students um, who had school striked against gun violence in the US. And then I was inspired by that. And then I thought, I could do that, but with the climate and I can sit outside the parliament. And then I tried to get other people to join, but I couldn't. And so then I decided, well, then, I then I'm going to do it by myself. I didn't really think that it would have any consequences or that it would lead to anything. I just thought that I need to do something, if not for anything, then just for my conscience. Looking back on it now, could you have ever imagined how much support that it would gain from that first time sitting outside, making that sign outside the Swedish parliament? No, never. If it was that easy to, to um, sort of to see a global movement before and to, to envision it before, to know how to do it, then it would happen all the time. Uh, but I think one of the strengths of this movement, of the Fridays for Future and the School Strike movement, is that it was so spontaneous and that it was just people's rage and people's fear that got them to organise and and come together for this cause. And was it ever difficult for you to continue going every Friday and just be out there, you know, throughout any kind of weather and throughout any kind of situation? You were there every Friday. Yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, and still am. It's been almost five years now and sometimes it, it can be tricky to get uh, your everyday life to to come about, so to speak. But it's um, you just learn to adapt. And, and there are people doing it with me too. Some people come and go and some people stay for a while longer. And, and it's, uh, it's, it's surely it's, it's been a ride. <laughs> yeah. And you've been 
voted and or named Times Magazine's most influential person. You've been covers of magazines, GQ, Vogue, and I mean, the list goes on. But aside from that kind of media attention, what do you think changed for you personally when people started to join your Fridays for Future? It, uh, it made me see that I'm not alone in caring about these issues. I thought I was alone. I thought that young people today only care about themselves. But then I was, I was proven wrong. And the feeling that you are not alone in feeling a certain way, in feeling whether it is concern about the planet or something else, it's a very, it's a very empowering feeling uh, to feel like you are a part of something larger. And then people just started striking in different countries, in different parts of the world, different continents. And I don't think any one of us at the time understood what was happening. We had to ask ourselves constantly, what have we done? Because we couldn't believe it. It just happened so so quickly, out of nowhere. It must have been easier for you, in a way, when people started joining you. Did it give you that kind of boost to think, you know, we are doing the right thing and we're really making an impact here? Yes, yes, I think so. Because oh, a solo person school striking outside a parliament isn't going to change anything. But if you are millions of people flooding the streets on all continents of the world, that is going to have an impact. And yeah, seeing your, your friends from literally all over the world doing the same thing the same day when we have these big days of, of global climate strikes, it's very empowering. It's a very powerful feeling that we are in this together. And with the growing press attention, how did it affect your everyday life? Fortunately, I live in Sweden where the, the celebrity culture isn't very large, so to speak. So I'm being relatively left alone, which has been very, very helpful because otherwise it would have been difficult. Basically, most people who stop me on the streets are tourists. And also in school, I am able to just be myself and it's, it's sort of a, a free space for me to just take a break from, from everything else that's going on. But this, this attention that, that came along with these, this activism was not something that anyone could have expected. It was just something that, that happened. And then I think that while, while I have this platform, I, I might as well use it. Uh, I have to use it. And of course, it's not good that media and so on focus on an individual rather than the climate itself. Uh, so that's something that we have to sort of try to change the narrative around. Mm. The platform you have now in the way that you're able to speak is just so incredible. And you're so passionate when you talk about the climate emergency. Like, But did you have, well, did you ever have any hesitancy when talking on such a major global platform for me it's it's kind of weird when i started becoming an activist i found it much much more difficult to make small talk than to speak in front of thousands of people <laughs> which uh, kind of maybe gives an insight on how 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 weird i am and and so on but um it, it just came naturally that I have a platform now, I need to use it, I need to speak out, and this is an opportunity to to make people wake up. You gave a speech in the Houses of Parliament as well in 2019, mm -hmm. and I know that was all over the news in the UK and around the world, because, I mean, you pretty iconically said, is my microphone on, can you hear me, <laughs> to see if 
people are actually listening. Like, mm-hmm. please, like, tell me, tell me what that was like and the frustrations around that. I think that speech was a sort of response to uh, to the previous things I and other activists had said because we feel like broken records because we have to say the same things over and over again because people are obviously not listening or not hearing or they are listening and choosing not to do anything and that says a lot in itself but it can be frustrating especially when people applaud you and say oh you you're such inspirations can you come here and speak at this event and then you're just being invited to different events yeah that must be such a a frustrating thing to be a almost like asked to go to events mm-hmm. because and like people come and speak here come and speak here we're not going to do anything about it but come and speak here because yeah. we want to hear what you have to say and you then went on to like to new york for the un climate action summit i mean the journey alone to get there looked i watched your documentary i am greta and i was blown away but also just that journey there for the listeners who don't necessarily know how you got there and how long it took please tell us a little bit more about that yeah, so I uh, sailed there and back. Um, it took uh, a few weeks and it was uh, it was incredible. Uh, I got to go there with some sailors called uh, Boris and Pierre. And then on the way back, it was uh, Elena, Riley and Nikki. And it was unbelievable to just take a break from everything because I had been going nonstop for the last year or so. And I was very, very constantly uh, on the go and had not had the chance to rest for way way too long and then to just be there for several weeks out on the North Atlantic Ocean not meeting anyone not doing anything just be there and sit and looking at the ocean it was very very needed and it was yeah something you can't really describe to to people who who haven't experienced it what was the hardest part of that journey I had a real like knitting abstinence. I needed to do something with my my hands. But I think other than that, I don't think there was the hardest part. Obviously, we didn't have toilets or bed or anything, but like you got used to that. I think the hardest part was getting used to walking on land afterwards when you had your your sea legs and everything and yeah. And going from that extreme environment of solitude to Another extreme environment with like what felt like at least the whole of the world's press there when we sailed into into the harbors and going from that to New York, which is it's a phenomenon. Absolutely. Um, um, would you be able to tell us a little bit about why you felt it's so important to travel that way to New York? Uh, there were several reasons why. Um, first of all, uh, flying uh, is one of the worst things you can do as an individual uh, when it comes to the climate. It has a very large carbon footprint uh, per capita, especially when we look at the aspect of equity. When we have such a limited amount of our carbon budgets to give us even a reasonable chance of staying below the 1.5 degree or even the 2 degree uh, targets of, of global warming. And I don't think that me, a privileged girl from Sweden, I don't think that trip is justified. Uh, looking at what, what is facing us, looking at what people are experiencing r- right now, I have other ways that I, can, that I can make my voice heard and that I can do. And also, 
it wasn't it was also to to remove the focus away from the in, individuals and say that these solutions don't exist you can't live sustainably today to be able to travel sustainably you have to be offered someone to sail you across the atlantic and that's not something that people can do which sort of shows the the larger perspective of it I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me In a given month over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/spoken today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Like you say when you got to New York and the going from complete isolation almost to then being in front of the world's press and in front of the UN, you gave that incredibly famous how dare you speech i hate to call it the how dare you speech but you gave yeah. so many <laughs> speeches and but like it's 3 years on from that now like do you think anything has actually changed it depends on how you see it some things have changed for the worse um the concentration uh level of co2 in, in the atmosphere is higher now we are seeing more extreme weather events and more people are being affected losing their lives and livelihoods due to the climate crisis but also on the other hand we are seeing more people engaged we are seeing more people at least what it seems to be more concerned about this the facts are kind of undeniable now i mean they have been for a while but we can't ignore the effects of the climate emergency anymore and i think that is something big that has changed and it probably does not help as well when you have very influential people people like trump and bolsonaro and people on social media tweeting you and like throwing all kinds of different things at you how do you deal with those kinds of i guess torments in a way most of those people are just people hiding behind a screen because they are too scared of doing anything on their own because they don't have a life to be uh, blunt um but of course there are many people who know what they do and who have purposely misled and deceived the public when it comes to the climate emergency there are some people who are continuing to make very very large amounts of money on the planet continuing being destroyed and on people continuing to suffer and those people have done so much harm in the world and they need to be held accountable for that but when it comes to trolls on the internet and people who who feel threatened by this it that's just it's just a bit tragic that they spend their time sitting trolling people online rather than doing something themselves because there's so much that you can do there are so many problems in the world that you can try to to solve 
instead of complaining online. But the fact that people are doing it shows also that we are having an impact. They wouldn't be spending their time doing that if we, if we didn't have an impact and if we didn't achieve anything. After some of your speeches and some of your tweets, some people, which it makes me laugh now, started to brand you as an angry teenager. <laughs> and the funny thing is, is it like you say, you laughed and it amuses you. Like, yeah. why does it amuse you? That's just a sort of image that different kinds of, of people from all directions, media, trolls and, and so on, have created this image of a person to generate clicks and interactions online. And it's obviously not a person. That's just something else that they're using for their purpose, whether it is to, to hate or spread misinformation or, or whatever. Sadly, that's how the world works. But it, it can also be a very big source of, of entertainment for me. I'm very easily entertained. Uh, so I, I, I use it as... When I see like memes people make fun of me then I, I take credit for those memes myself and you have to you have to do the best of it with what people give you honestly some of the tweets that you've thrown back and the fact my favorite thing that you ever did other than the, the, the Tate Brothers stuff recently was when Trump <laughs> Trump called you that angry kid yes. angry, angry teenager and then you put it in your bio yes. of your Twitter <laughs> I, I love that sense of humor. Where, where do you think you get that sense of humor from? I don't know, but I know that it started earlier. Some, some people who were bullies gave me like uh, mocking nicknames and then I used them later to like reclaim them myself. And so I, I just think that I do that when people say those kinds of stuff. It, it's, just, it's just very, very funny um, that some of the most powerful people in the world are like seriously threatened by teenagers. It's very easy to just make fun of it. It is also very fun. <laughs> On the flip side of that, I'm also really interested to know what part does dancing play in keeping you happy and motivated, <laughs> which I did a bit of reading on. Dancing. Hmm. <laughs> I, that, that's just uh, things that, that you do as, as a young person, or at least many people do, just to, to have fun and to not care, to just do something by yourself that no one is supposed to. To witness. <laughs> <laughs> you got you're doing your own concert in the shower and you're doing your living your best yeah, life. Doing the Macarena at inappropriate places is my thing. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And the Macarena's the best. Yes. <laughs> um, but <laughs> when it comes to I mean there's so many misconceptions when it comes to the climate crisis in terms of what's on social media and people seem to always listen to lots of very influential people on the internet rather than listening to the science. Yeah. And why do you think that is? I think that we live in a post-truth society. I think that as, as it is now, the ones with the most power, uh, the ones with the most money can buy the, the truth. Uh, of course, not in real life, but they can buy the, the narrative, the dominating narrative. And by that, the, the discourse itself also. Right now, it's the climate crisis in some way is still seen as something that you can have different views on it. And of course, you can have different views on how, how we solve it. But the fact that it is a crisis and the fact that we need to immediately and drastically reduce our emissions from the source to avoid the worst consequences of it, that's not really something you can have different opinions on. Yeah. And you now have a new book, uh, The Climate Book, which is 
absolutely incredible, actually, the way that you lay everything out. But why do you think in particular this book needed to be written now? So many people often ask me if I if I have any recommendations for them to read because they want to get in, involved in the climate or so on, but they don't know where to start. And I can really relate to that because it's such a maze to try to navigate in. You don't know where to find the most relevant information and and there are so many different uh, ways of measuring things and different people saying different things, as, as you talked about before. So this is a sort of an accessible guide to the current best available science when it comes to the climate crisis and also some of the stories about people who are fighting against it. So, and I believe that we can only really change things if we know what is happening. Uh, awareness is the key uh, to be able to change things. Right now, it seems like so many people are not aware of our current situation about the fact that we are facing an existential crisis and just how bad it is. Uh, and in order to change that, we need to spread awareness and, and create opinion. And that's what, what I hope that this book can achieve. But not only, of course, a guide to, to information, but also a call to action. And off the top of your head, what are some of those key facts that people might be unaware of? The sort of often considered safe level in the atmosphere, uh, the amount of carbon dioxide, is... Uh, 350 ppm CO2 parts per million. And that level we surpassed in 1987. And right now we are on over 420 ppm. And so that's, we've got a lot of things of things to compensate for. And we are still in many parts of the world experiencing record speed of um, emissions increases. We are still expanding fossil fuel infrastructure, for example, in the UK where you live and so on. And it's just absolutely insane that we, are, that we are still doing this in the year 2023. And you also have said despair is privilege we don't have, yeah, which I think is very powerful. Would you be able to yeah. explain a little bit about that? So for me, just the fact that I have an option to take action means that, that I have a privilege, that I'm not one of the people who are suffering the most acute effects of the climate crisis right now because if I was that wouldn't be an option it would be a fight for survival and the fact that I have that option means that I have a privilege that I need to use when it comes to this fight. So many people in the world today don't have the luxury of choosing whether to take action or choosing whether to look away from the climate crisis or not. It is already a part of their everyday life that they have to struggle with and for us in in the so-called global north to say that, yeah, I care about the climate, but there are also many other things, and I'm so busy with my everyday life. Of course, we need to to incorporate these different struggles and different crises, but if you think that the climate crisis is something that you can look away from and something that you can postpone, then that means that you are very, very privileged. Yeah, that's a luxury that many people don't have. Absolutely. And you said earlier, actually, that you don't know who you'd be without activism. So what have you learned over your many years now of being a climate justice activist? I think the, the, the biggest thing I've learned is how incredible people can be. There are so many people all over the world who are fighting despite huge odds and that when people come together they can achieve almost anything. Um, I think that's the biggest thing I've learned the power of of being united and fighting alongside one another. I mean, it's powerful to 
like you say, all come together for one united cause. But what advice do you have to anyone that's wanting to get into any kind of activism? I would say try to educate yourself and know what you're fighting for. Keep reminding yourself what you are fighting for and also find people who who think alike and who share the same values as you. That is something that we need to keep in mind. Is there anything like you would suggest to people to have as like climate resolutions, if you like, if there was a couple of things that people could do just to be more mindful of? Of course, there are many things that you can do, but I think the most important thing is to become an activist and be a, be an active democratic citizen and go out on the streets and demand demand change. I think that's by far the mo- the biggest thing that we can do as individuals. Amazing. Like make your voice heard. Now, in each episode of the Made With Love podcast, I like to ask people to do a little Made With Love letter, which is practicing a little bit of gratitude, if you like. So to write a letter or say a little bit of something to a person, place or a thing that has made them with love. So I don't know if you've got something prepared or if you want to talk a little bit about who the letter's addressed to and what you'd like to say. I, I think I want to address this uh, to uh, Eli Kult, um, which is uh, FFF Sweden and our friend group. A direct translation would be the Moose Cult. There's a long story behind it. I want to say thank you to each and every one of you. It's a... Uh, it's a privilege to be able to to be in the climate movement with you, to fight alongside you and to be to be friends with all of you. You are such amazing people and my life would not be the same without you. And I hope that you know how, how special you are and I hope that you never give up the fight. Oh, that's so sweet. Uh, they're going to absolutely love to hear that. What are some of the ways that they've been able to help and support you? I mean, we do basically... <laughs> Uh, most things together when it when it comes to when it comes to activism we we talk every day and we we stick with each other we are always there to support each other and it's uh, because it it can be very difficult to be an activist in these days because there are so many horrible things going on in the world and it feels like you are facing so such big and powerful forces people who are working against you and who want you to fail and who are actively trying to make you fail, uh, whether it is hate or mock or threats or whether it is to just deceive the public debate or so on. And and to have friends alongside you and people who are fighting for the same thing, it's invaluable. Sounds very special. Like what mm-hmm. kind of things do you do when you get to hang out in person as well? Also, the things we do when we hang out in person is, is strike and have demonstrations. <laughs> but uh, but, okay, but yeah. um, otherwise, all possible different kinds of things. Yeah. And we've talked about lots of different subjects today. And there's lots of reasons to be worried. But what makes you happy and hopeful for the future? The fact that there are people uh, trying and the fact that there are people doing things. That's the thing that, that keeps me going because I believe that hope only comes from action and that we shouldn't be looking blindly for hope but rather try to create that hope ourselves. And I'm one of many people who are trying to do that. That's amazing. And it's not just, like you said, it's not just about you, it's about everybody doing their part, everybody getting involved. So 
it's just been absolutely amazing to talk to you. And I would love to be able to, as a fellow knitter, fellow crocheter, fellow crafter, what would you say to the Made With Love community about your experiences with knitting? Oh, um, it's um, it's been a very big lifesaver for me, I would say. It has served different purposes in different parts of my life. Right now, it's something that keeps me grounded, kind of, which is, yeah, invaluable in these times. I have sent you a knit kit and it's on the way nice. and I can't wait to hopefully arrive safely yes. and you're able to to get it and get mm-hmm. knitting and get making something fabulous but thank again you. I just want to say a massive thank you for taking the time to speak with me today thank you too it was a pleasure Greta's book the climate book is out and you should definitely go check it out I can't wait to see how Greta gets on with her little knit kit. And I feel like in a few months, we need to have a little bit of a knit and natter with Greta to find out how she's getting on. And I'd also love to know what you think of the show. So please rate and review the podcast. And if you love it, share it with your friends too. Everyone loves a good podcast recommendation, don't they? Made With Love was hosted by me, Tom Daly, and produced by Emma Roberts for Spiritland Productions. Our engineer today was Anthony Shaw, and our assistant producer is Nadine Peters. Please join me next week when I'll be chatting to another famous face about the things they love. Catch you then. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be right. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. (laughs) This was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, (laughs) you, you were different. Like you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.